session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-4410555. Before I bring on a caller, I wanted to announce the book of the week for this week. It is The Improbability Principle by David J. Hand. The Improbability Principle, Why Coincidences, Miracles, and Rare Events Happen Every Day. And he is a professor of mathematics, but... Uh, does have this overlap with psychology, looking at how we can misunderstand probability, misunderstand what it means for an event to be rare, or why it seems to be that rare events happen, and sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that. So I'll share that book with you on Monday night's show. But let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Holakui. Hi, thanks how for calling. Good, thank you. So thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. So uh, my question, I have a couple of questions. First off, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old boy and a four-month-old, almost five-month-old girl. Mm-hmm. So um, when we had our girl, uh, she was born in, uh, in July. So it was uh, summertime, and my son, uh, I mean, I didn't plan it well, and, and he was not in school at the time. So when he was supposed to start school in September, so it was a couple of months that, you know, he had, had a rough time kind of adjusting with having a little sister. But, it was, I mean, as soon as he started school, he started getting better. So he was just dressing on, you know, potty, uh, all mm-hmm. that. So we always kind of passed all that issues. So he started uh, school in September. So I, um, just because he was on a wait list for a monastery, um, and at the time I didn't have any other choices, everyone, other school were on wait list. So I had to start with Montessori, and there was a five-day school from 9 to 3, and so we, he, you know, at, you know, first couple of days, he didn't, you know, he wasn't really happy, but then he got adjusted and we had without any problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first of all, uh, I'm, you know, myself, I'm not sure if I'm a fan of Montessori. He seems to like it, but I just want to get your thoughts if you recommend Montessori and if how familiar you are with it. Well, uh, you know, I, I actually went to Montessori, I think, one or two years, and you can see how negatively oh. it affected my life well to be honest with you it i don't i mean i think it, it is a good school and program and there's lots of different ones now montessori has been around obviously for a while if i went to it um and even much before even i went to it it was around but uh i, I wouldn't say it's gonna it made or broke me in any way but i don't think i'm definitely i would say i'm against the montessori schools but i do want to know what is it you don't like about the schools uh, you know what, uh, listening to your, you know, Dr. Holakui's, you know, um, thoughts and all that, I feel, I, if I remember correctly, I feel like he want, he prefers to ch- uh, for the child to be, you know, in a classroom within his group age, like 
let's say three and a half, three to three and a half or three to four years old in one classroom. But Montessori, there are like a mixed age mm-hmm. group. So in his class, there is like two and a half up to up till like six years old. So they're all mixed age. So that's I was not sure if it's gonna kind of damage him, or, uh, you know, if he's gonna benefit from this or not. He's actually and he's kind of you know kind of looks up to his you know peers that are older and he likes hanging out with them and he talks about them all the time but i'm not sure if they're working on something and if they're doing a better job because they're older and they, they know better you know how to do things when like, they're working on a project if it makes him kind of feel you know feel kind of makes him feel you know a little down and that he's not as successful as they are when they are doing some work because that makes me wonder if it's a good idea to have mixed age you know, in a classroom. Well, I'm I'm not, you know, there is some wisdom to having them with kids their age. Uh, but I also think there can be some benefits they get from having older and younger kids around them too. So I don't see oh. it black and white, uh, that it's really necessarily a bad thing. Because they learn okay. from the older kids, sometimes it teaches them things of even humility. Obviously, we don't want self-esteem to be affected, but that you sometimes can be the one who listens to others. And then when you're older, you also can be the one who helps or has different roles. So I don't see that as all bad, depending on how much. And also in Montessori schools, there isn't such an emphasis off of like you have to be so good at this or you better be good at this so that it's put into their face that you're bad. But you're right. He's going to see that it's easier for the, right. the four-year-old kid to do something maybe than it is for him. Um, but I don't see that as a, a huge detriment or something. I would say you have to take him out immediately. You want to see the effects it's having. And even with him having, you know, a new sibling, we know that's going to be a huge, uh, almost emotional trauma that he has to go through. And so yeah. he's dealing with that too. But maybe being out of the house also gives him that ability to be with these kids. And sometimes being with the younger kids might not be a bad practice. So I wouldn't say what you're telling me is something very concerning that you need to get him out of that school. Okay, and he seems to be okay. He likes his school, but then he actually had some had some kind of like interaction with a little someone that's a little younger than him. Mm-hmm. Looks like he copies him, and they like to play. They like each other. There's no negative, you know, energy between them. But they, the other kid, actually hit him a couple of times, I scratched his face or something like that, and that. I talked to the teacher, and they're kind of making them separate, you know, separate at the circle time and all that. So, I'm, I mean, that was the other thing that I, made me kind of wonder if he needs to, you know, continue going to the same school. But they, the teacher and the staff tell me they like each other, the two kids. Mm-hmm. The other one is, like, almost three. My son is three and a half. They like each other, and they want to be with each other, even though they separate them. But just at the same time, sometimes, you know, he gets hit, you know, or hurt. By, by that mm-hmm. kid. So that was the other thing I kind of concerned me. Well, it's I mean, not a severe, you know, interaction. doesn't but sound like it. Average. And, you, yeah, kids are going to do that. And in this case, exactly. your child might get hit. In another instance, your child might be the one hitting or biting. These things happen, and kids do this. So if you go to another school, there will be kids where right. these things are going to happen. So especially, again, what you're describing doesn't sound extreme by any means. And for me, even from starting at this age, I think it's so important to teach kids that conflict is not something you just avoid or run away from. And wow. even with someone you like, you can have bad interactions too. So it seems like they like each other, but kids 
even adults, we have these issues too, but our feelings can get the best of us or we don't know how to contain our feelings or how to express something, especially at their age. And so they might hit someone or lash out or take something or bite or whatever they might do. But we don't want that to mean let's just remove them from that situation is that this is part of relationships, especially at this age. Some of this is going to happen. We protect the kids. We don't let them hit each other. We don't let them Mm -hmm. hit each other. And of course, with the baby, you're going to be very protective of making sure your son doesn't try to hurt the girl. We know this can happen very often. There's going to be some anger and aggression. So you have to protect the little girl and of course, protect him too, because it won't feel good for him if he does hurt her um but these are parts of you know being in relationships as he gets older when he's six he'll be on the playground and maybe a kid pushes him you know it can happen and it will happen and we have to be ready that he'll be able to handle it we want to support him through those processes but not assume that our job is to remove any kind of pain and that's a big thing for me it comes up almost every week when parents call um this this i call it the pain prevention philosophy of parenting where parents think their only role or their most important role is to make sure their kid faces no pain or discomfort or anything they don't like where that's actually not life and not reality and doesn't help them grow so uh, i think it's interesting he has this dynamic with this kid and it could be good for him as long as it doesn't become extreme which it doesn't seem like it is that they interact okay but sometimes they get into little fights or disagreements Mm -hmm. or even it gets a little physical um, but the teachers seem to be aware of it and trying to keep an eye on it, and and that to me is okay. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't even he doesn't talk much about school. He doesn't. It didn't seem like it didn't bother him much to tell me. I just saw some scratches on his face and asked him. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, so and so like that guy, you know, little yeah. kid hit me, and so you know, he didn't really complain. But what what should my reaction be? Just you know. What should I tell him to do next time this happens? Well, I mean, I would always, you know, I always tell parents and even actually I think adults with relationships to show empathy first. This came up on Monday's show. So first you want to empathize, oh, that must have hurt. I can see you didn't like mm-hmm. it. You know, and ask him, you could tell him to try to describe what happened the best he can. Um, and then you can even ask him what he did before even getting into giving him advice or this. And But, you know, first show him, of course, he probably didn't like it. Maybe he cried. You understand it hurt. It didn't feel good. And I think, you know, you can let him know to tell the, the friend, I don't like that or please don't do that to me. And then also mm-hmm. to definitely tell a teacher, tell a, a grown up who's there to help get involved, especially at their age. Uh, the older they are, depending on how extreme it is, sometimes it could be good for them to deal with it on their own. If it's getting physical and it's very intense, then, of course, they should get some kind of help from uh, an adult at the school. But sometimes if they're just having, a, you know, some, the reason why I'm just saying that is because sometimes we can teach our kids that if you have a disagreement, get a parent or an adult to come solve it for you. And I don't want them to get that message. But in this case, when they're three years old and it's physical, absolutely, he needs to get the help of a teacher or adult there to get involved if they're not already seeing what's happening. But you can tell them to let okay. them know, you know, when someone does something you don't like, you can tell them, I don't like when that you did that. Don't do that to me. You know, that doesn't feel good, you know, so you can tell him those are things he can tell anyone. Even he can tell mommy and daddy those things, you know, if he doesn't like something they're doing. And this goes back in a a different way. It's kind of a different conversation, but related of talking to kids from even his age about their bodies and that they're allowed to, uh, if they don't like someone touching them, they can always say so. And there's parts of their body Mm -hmm. that no one should touch. And there's, except for, let's say, mommy or daddy when they're cleaning you or 
um, changing you or showering you or whatever. But mm-hmm. there, you know, these types of conversations I think are so important to have because again, we want to protect our kids and just hope nothing bad ever happens to them. But we have to accept that right. they live in a world and they're going to have experiences where things happen. And what we want to actually do is more prepare them rather than try to prevent anything bad from happening. So I would have those talks with him about, yeah, I can see you didn't like that. And again, first I'd ask him what he did, what happened. And it might be hard for him to express that at his age, so much of it, but then explore things and let him know you can tell him, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. Please don't do that to me. And then make sure you, you know, you can tell a teacher to get involved and help to make sure you're okay. is okay it depends on if we get on the point of past awareness to vigilance or anxiety but even since they mentioned something about seeing his pediatrician maybe they're um, concerned or just asking about like a sensory sensitivity some people and some kids starting from a very young age have sensory sensitivities where they react more to sounds or textures or uh, tastes and um, it, it can be an issue or something just to be aware of so if they're bringing it up, what they're probably telling you is compared to the other kids, he maybe reacted more than the other kids. So it's something mm-hmm. they noticed. And so I wouldn't just ignore that. And you can go get sure. it checked out. It doesn't seem like something I'd get too overly worried about, but something worth taking a look at. Sure. Um, but about him not and wanting what? to go mm-hmm. to school, mm-hmm. you know, this comes up and it's always this balance of obviously we don't want to force our kid to go to school no matter what. But we also don't want him to just okay, you don't like feel like going today, so you don't have to go at all and giving in to them too much either. We want to give them mm-hmm. encouragement, support, let them know, you know, sometimes we don't feel like going, but when you go, you have a good time and kind of, you know, so it's not a pressure that you have to go no matter what, but it also isn't this, if you ever feel like not going even a little bit, we say no, because sometimes there's some anxiety, but we want them to be able to face that and see that it's okay and they go there and it's all right. So it isn't black and white to say, Always say right. yes when he says he wants to stay home or always say no. You got to talk with him, work with him and see what he's, you know, as you're kind of saying, maybe the sound on the roof or other things. What is it that's making him not want to go? Is it a separation anxiety from you? Is it something at the school he doesn't like? So I would explore that with him. Um, but these things, we want to encourage them in general. And even as they get older, especially, you know, sometimes kids don't feel like going to school. Just like as an adult, you maybe don't feel so thrilled to go to work, which you go anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but even as an adult, if you're really sick, you should stay home. Or if you're really not feeling good and need a mental health day or a break, you should take that. So it's finding that balance of talking to him, seeing how, how he's doing, how much he's distressed or not doing well. And overall, we want to make sure we lean, especially for you, though, I'm hearing that you might be afraid of making him not feel good. So I'd encourage you not to give into that too much to indulge him and say, okay, you don't want to go stay home. 
Um, even something that parents sometimes do is they have some separation anxiety or don't like the separation. So sometimes they want to stay with their child. So it's more about them keeping the kid rather than the kid not wanting to go. And the kid even picks up on that as well. So I just want to make sure you're, you know, for you, the way I'm hearing your style, maybe lean more towards encouraging him to go than just giving in to him saying he doesn't want to go. Yeah, so that's what we've been doing. And I, okay. I sent him to school anyways, and I talked to, you know, the staff uh, yesterday. But he, given that he's been okay and he doesn't have any separation anxiety because I am, you know, from, he's been okay at school, that's why I don't want to give, you know, give in. Yeah. Because he's going to, you know, learn that, you know, exactly. I'll say whenever yeah. I don't want to go. And I have a four-month-old, and that makes it at home. I don't sure. want, you know. I don't want to keep them separate, you know. Just yeah, that's no, challenging. Yeah, so I would just, you know, I mean, there's a normal anxiety. Of, you know, we talk about separation anxiety as like a diagnosis, which it can be. But also just mm-hmm. there always is some anxiety of saying goodbye at mm-hmm. that age, right, which is okay for them to face. And that's why we play hide-and-seek. That's actually a game kids like, or even when they're younger, peekaboo. It deals with these right. types of anxieties of being separated and reunited. So we want to play those games. So. It seems like you're trying to handle that by encouraging him to go. It sounds good. But I think, to me, overall, switching his school, this I don't hear anything alarming that I would say switch it, especially giving him another change. It sounds like he's okay there, and, you know, for preschool, it sounds good. Yeah, it's just the play-based. And I thought to luckily always, you know, emphasize on the play-based. That's why, actually, I might. Yeah. And I feel like he's very social. He likes interaction. But I'm monitoring. They kind of have to work on their individual. They have to full time. But they have to work kind of individually on their project on their own pace. So it's not a group kind of setting. Yeah. You know. But so it's, you know, play Play is the work of the child. You know, that's like a lot. Play is, is his work. That's, that is his okay. work. So play is how they work through emotions, how they learn things, everything. So don't be concerned that, you know, sometimes I think parents can get so consumed with like, is my kid learning stuff, ABCs and shapes and this? And, you know, they can learn those things. But play is their work. So... That's actually good. I wouldn't be concerned about that. Do you think the benefit, like, I mean, the play-based school is closer to home, so it's more convenient okay. from that, our sense, you know, you know, for us as parents. But I don't want, so I want to kind of see if you think at this point, given that if he's already kind of settled in the school um, and all of that, so it's more kind of negative yeah, I don't think it's, a, and, and Montessori isn't so non-play-based. It's child-centered in a way, but. I, I don't see, I, I don't, to me, it doesn't seem like if you want to make that choice, you can, but I don't see a reason to go ahead and do that. I do want to make sure I get to the commercial break and to other callers, though. Um, so we'll, we'll wrap sure. things up. But to me, it seems sure. like things are okay as they are and, you know, go forward with that. Awesome. Thank you so much. We My pleasure. Nice it. talking. Have a good Have day. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We've reached commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Back, studio number 310 Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, Hello. hi. Uh, hi. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, likewise. Thank you for calling. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Hola Club. <laughs> oh, well, we're, we're happy to hear that. Thank you so much, and thanks for calling. Thank you. And I also wanted to mention um, your Monday show on empathy was, uh, was beautiful. I learned oh, a lot. You. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. That's a very important topic to me, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. Yes. Although, I think I didn't do the empathy thing 
uh, in my dealing with my grandchildren. I'm a grandma to a seven-year-old girl and a six-year-old son. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a situation with them, uh, which I thought I would call you and steal your brain. Okay. Um, before I go into details, um, can I mention the name of the reproductive organ, Amir? You can, sure. As long, yeah, okay. that should be okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, this, I took them from school, and they are sitting on the back seat in the car. And the seven-year-old um, starts talking, and it's between themselves, but she was also loud enough for me to hear her. So she says, I learned something new, and that is when people get married, um, the penis goes into vagina. Mm-hmm. And I could see the little boy's face. Um, you know, he started getting worried. Mm-hmm. And I changed the subject because I learned from your dad, <laughs> Dr. Holakri Sr., even though he's not a senior. Um, I learned that if you don't want that topic to resonate in their mind, you just kind of change the subject. So I did. But we came home, and after about an hour, an hour and a half, she started talking about one of the girls in his class. And she mentioned something like, you would marry her. Mm-hmm. And you should have seen his face. He had such an anxiety on his little face. And he said, no, I don't want to marry her <laughs> because I don't want to put my wee-wee in, his, in her <laughs> vagina. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's not an easy situation. And even, you know, I laughed and it's kind of cute and funny. But of course, he was really anxious and stressed. So we don't want to laugh at his anxiety or laugh at his feelings either, uh, even even if it is kind of cute in that moment. But yes, and I can understand you weren't sure what to say because it's not an easy situation to deal with. But let me know what happened and we can talk more about it. I changed the subject, and we went we went on. But it kind of has stayed with him because mm-hmm. yesterday we did the same thing, and we come home, and and uh, the girl says something about another girl, and he says, "I don't want to get married at all because I don't want to put my wee on anybody's mm-hmm. vagina." Mm-hmm. And at the same time that I wanted to do the empathy because I had just learned it from you, <laughs> and and I wanted to validate his his anxiety, but at the same time, um, I didn't want to say the wrong thing. So I changed it in a way I said, um, marriage is not only that. It means there is, you know, look at mommy and daddy. They're each other's best friend. You will have your best friend with you most of the time. And they dance together, laugh together, eat together, all those things, and kind of changed the subject. Mm-hmm. But I... <laughs> Immediately, I wanted to say, wait until then, you'll love it. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's what I would, I wouldn't tell him that part exactly, which you, is probably truth. But, you know, actually, about the empathy, it's, you're bringing up a good uh, angle on the empathy thing, which is that if someone is mistaken, we can correct them without um, going straight to the empathy. You know, so if, for example, someone thinks you're going to leave, but you're not going to leave, and they say, I'm scared about you leaving, you can let them know you're not going. So I would even, you could tell him you don't have to get married, which is also the truth. He doesn't have to do anything. 
So you don't have to worry about that and you won't have to worry about that for a long time. And you can also tell her you don't have to, you know, don't tell him he's going to marry or this. It doesn't feel good to tell someone else what they're going to do or they have to do. She's, of course, curious about this. And now, and it's obviously hard for a seven-year-old to process these types of things. And really, we don't want her to be exposed to that. But kids talk to each other about things we can't prevent completely these things from happening. Um, so it's happened, but you can let her know, you know, he doesn't want you to talk. And, and if you can tell her those kinds of words, we have to be careful about using them. They're more for grownups. Kids are not supposed to use those words. Um, but I would tell him he doesn't have to worry. He doesn't ever, I wouldn't get into what marriage is and the best friend part. And cause even that stuff he might think is icky at this age. Oh, I don't want to have a girl best friend. I want to have guy best friends, you know? So it's not going to make total sense to him. And I would just you let no, you don't. You don't have to. And I would tell her, you, you know, it doesn't feel good for him to tell him he's going to do this or do that, even if it's something minor, but especially something like that, um, because we don't want him to get afraid of this thing and and sexual issues. Even sometimes kids, you know, a lot of kids have questions and things, and they think something, and it turns out it's not true. I remember myself. You just hear something or you see a movie and you think that's what sex is or something, and you take the wrong conclusion. It can be okay, um, but also I definitely say this is more. A conversation and conversations for the parents to be involved with. So I would make sure that yes, in that moment you have to, you can't just ignore it completely. And I know changing the subject can sometimes work to a degree, but a lot of times we can't because if it's so much on their mind, they're just going to go think about it themselves and maybe talk about it with their friends. And it could even be better as a parent to be the one who gets to talk to them than to just let them be on their own. So. I know there is something about changing the subject that can be good depending on what we're talking about, but sometimes we have to realize, look, she's she's still kind of obsessed with this thing. So changing the subject just means now in her head she thinks about it. And also we have to be aware sometimes kids pick up on, oh, I'm talking about something bad. That means sex is a bad thing that should not be talked about or it's something I should be ashamed of. And those types of issues can even be taught to the kids from a young age. So I would say as a grandparent in that moment, absolutely, you have to say something. And I would go more the route of letting him know you don't have to do anything you don't want to do ever. And again, just the previous caller, we we're talking about uh, touching your body. And if you don't like someone, you don't have to do that same thing. You never have to do something you don't want to do. Yes, you're right that maybe in uh, 10 years, he's going to have a very different opinion about that. But right now, we just let him know you never have to do something you don't want to do. You don't have to marry anyone. You don't have to do that thing that your sister is talking about. None of those things. Don't worry okay. like about that. So I would let him know, he, which is the truth, he doesn't have to do any of those things. But absolutely, I would get the parents informed fully of everything that, that you heard and that it's probably a better idea for them to have a conversation and more than likely one with the daughter without the son there since he's being so anxious about it and talk to her and see what her questions are or what things she's thinking about or what she heard and, and then go from there great thank yeah. you so much great sure. advice i i did talk to the mom uh, Good. before i called you i wanted to get their permission uh, uh -huh. um, you know it's um and i did mention all the details to her so Good. Uh, she's going to talk to the dad, and they would be aware of it. But I, it never crossed across my mind to ask her not to talk about it and make her aware of his sensitivity. So yeah. I would do that. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you. All right. Have and great... thank you for all the books that you post. Oh, great. Thank you. My pleasure. Perfect. Have a great Thanks. day. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our next commercial break, studio number 310 You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We will be right back. Mm -hmm. 
back. Studio number 310-441-0555. I wanted to share a story. It's kind of not an actual true story, but based on lots of stories I've heard and an idea that came into my head. Um, And at the end, I'll talk a little bit about some lessons that maybe can be learned from this. But So this is kind of fictional, but unfortunately many people might be able to relate to different parts of this story. So let's give it shot. So there's a husband and wife, Sam and Sarah, and they've been married for many years, more than 10 years. And like many people can feel happens in a relationship, they start to get further and further apart from each other. They feel like the passion has died. The love is lost. They don't feel appreciated by one another. The thoughtful things they used to do, they don't seem to do as much. The nice things they used to say to each other, they say far less often. And even when they do spend time together, sometimes it just feels like because they have to, and they're almost waiting to go do something else. And so Sam has been feeling more and more unhappy in this marriage and feeling like Sarah doesn't understand him, doesn't care about him, doesn't appreciate him, how hard he works, both at his job and works at home, and the way he tries to show love, and he just doesn't feel very loved by her. And so one day they're having dinner and He brings us up to her that he's unhappy in the marriage. And she says, well, how do you think I feel? I feel the same way. You don't love me anymore either. And he goes to his room, takes out his laptop, opens up his email. And as many people might get, he sees some junk mail. And one of them catches his eye. It says, are you unhappy in your marriage? And he's like, oh, he just had this bad interaction with his wife. So he... He's a little curious and even maybe against what he knows is probably a good idea. He clicks on the email and opens it up. And he sees it's a website called Unhappily Ever After, which is for married people who are unhappy in their marriage and they just want to talk to someone. And so he says, you know what? Let me see. He's a little bit curious. He clicks and he says, it's pretty easy. Just make up a username and you get started. So he creates a username and he enters into what's a chat room. And then he just starts talking to someone. And he talks with this person. He says, hey, why are you here? And she says, oh, I'm, well, you probably know I'm unhappy in my marriage. He's like, yeah, me too. And they kind of joke and they start to talk a little bit. And slowly they start to see they have a lot in common. They're both not feeling good in their marriage. And they're not very happy about what's going on with their marriage. And they just want to feel loved and appreciated by someone. And so they talk for 30 minutes that day. And He enjoys the conversation. He says, oh, that was kind of nice. And for the first time, I feel kind of close to someone in a while, even though it's not so close. And the next day, he goes back on and sees her again. And they start talking again and tells her a little bit about himself. He tries to disguise some of the things about the details of his life because he's still a little bit nervous about someone finding out it's him. But tells him about the way he's feeling about things, the way even he's stressed out about things at work. And she gives him a lot of support. And then she starts to tell him more about herself and things she's going through with her job and her marriage. And they start to give each other emotional support. They start to connect with each other. They start to see that someone could see them and what they're going through and appreciate what they're going through. And Sam finds himself, after a few days, thinking about this kind of mystery woman. They haven't even really exchanged their names. They just have their usernames. After a while, he tells her his name is Sean, just to keep it anonymous. And he says, she says her name is Samantha. And they keep on talking. 
and he sees that he's thinking about her all the time. And he spends time with his wife, but then actually after spending some time with her, he's just thinking about how can I go to the other room or how can I end this interaction to then go talk to Samantha again. And so he finds himself being more and more drawn to her, thinking about her all the time, and even starting to think things like, gosh, my luck. I have this wife who doesn't appreciate me, doesn't love me. I have been this loveless marriage, but here's this girl who is also married, but she's the one who gets me. She's the one who understands me. Even he thinks he's cursed by God, or it's his luck that this has happened, or did he do something bad in a past life, or whatever the reason might be, but how could life be so unfair? That there is someone that could love him, but really he can't be with him, her because he's stuck in this marriage. And so this online relationship continues for weeks and weeks and months. And unfortunately, we know online relationships are very common. People who are married and unhappily married seek other relationships. They seek physical relationships, of course, but even now with the advent of internet and how easy it is for people to connect, they start to create emotional relationships with people online. And so slowly their relationship turns from just a friendship of just being there supporting each other to even more loving relationship, writing each other love notes, writing each other things about thinking about each other. And Sam is just feeling more and more infatuated and almost in love with this woman that he has never met, but who seems to really get him and to really love him. And so after a few months of this going on and they're taking more and more time to talk to each other, Sam is feeling more and more distant from his real wife, his wife at home, and more connected to this woman that he's talking to online. He decides, you know what, maybe we should see each other. And as crazy as it might feel and sound, he messages Samantha on the website and says, I think we should see each other. And at first she's reluctant. She says, no, we can't. We're both married. We agreed that we would just keep this on the website so that we didn't have to get involved in each other's lives and to keep it clean. But after a few days of him keep asking her, repeatedly asking her, she says, you know what? Okay, fine. So let's meet. So did they both realize they don't live too far from each other, but they say, let's go somewhere kind of further away because they're a little bit afraid about being caught about other people finding out. So they make a plan to meet at a restaurant about an hour away. And Sam is so nervous and so excited. Of course, also feeling guilty. I'm going to meet a woman that's not my wife. This is something bad, something I thought I would never do. But he feels like I have no other choice. I'm so unhappy. I'm so sad. I finally found someone that loves me. Don't I deserve to be loved? And so he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go ahead and meet her. So because of his apprehension, he's a little bit late. And so he finally gets the courage. He's going, driving there. He's so nervous, so excited. What is it going to be like? Even she described to him a little bit what she looks like, but he's never even seen her before. But he feels in love with her. He feels infatuated with her. He wants to finally see her. So he gets to the restaurant. He parks his car, gets out of the door waits a few seconds before he actually walks in and he opens the door and who does he see sitting at the table but his actual wife Sarah is sitting there and so it turns out that they were both unhappy in the relationship and they were both seeking someone to give them emotional support to feel loved to feel connected 
but actually they found each other online. And so, of course, they're both confused, shocked, amazed, uh, a little embarrassed because they both realize, okay, now my partner knows I was talking to someone else, but of course they both know they were doing the same thing and the other person was doing the same thing. And in a crazy way, they were connecting with each other. And stunned and in disbelief, they sit down and look at each other in some ways for the first time that they've looked at each other in a long time. And I'll kind of stop the story there for a moment. And I know it could sound a little bit crazy and unbelievable and maybe unlikely. And it's interesting, the book I'm reading this week that I'll talk about on Monday's show is about uh, coincidences, miracles, and rare events and how they can happen every day. But yeah, realistically, this probably won't happen. But the reason why I wanted to share this story is that it brings up a few points that I think are worth making and emphasizing, and sometimes a story can paint that picture a little bit better. To begin with, many people do seek a relationship outside of their relationship, which is unfortunate. And they do that because very often they don't want to face the issues within their own relationship. So as an ultimate way of avoiding, rather than trying to get more from their relationship, rather than resolve what's going on, they decide to find someone else or to get their needs met in some other way. And very often, as was the case in this scenario, it starts in a very small, innocent way. And this is why when I talk about infidelity, I think sometimes people think if someone was unfaithful, it only means sexual intercourse with another person outside of the relationship. And of course, that is infidelity, but there are hundreds or even thousands of steps before you get to that point that we need to be aware of. We need to be alarmed if we cross them or we should think twice about making those steps because we know we're very good at tricking ourselves. So we can just tell ourselves, oh, I'm just going to chat with someone online. Come on. What's the big deal? There's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing uh, illegal. It's nothing actually unfaithful. I'm not doing anything. I'm not seeing them. But first of all, that first step should, one, give us a warning. What's wrong? What's going on that I want to take this step, that I'm actually doing it? And two, it means I'm actually doing something wrong that can lead to something much worse. So very often people, when they're feeling unhappy in their relationship, Unfortunately, they go to the solution in their head that I should get my needs met in some other way. I should meet someone else to meet those needs rather than realizing I can get more out of my relationship. Now, the other important thing for me or the interesting thing and why I thought it was good to bring up the story in this way was that these this couple, Sam and Sarah, I'm kind of forgetting the names, they all started with S, but the real couple, Sam and Sarah, they were together but felt like they couldn't love each other or there was something missing, they weren't right for each other. And that's why when I was talking about Sam's perspective, he kept saying, why am I stuck with this woman, my wife, when there's this other woman out there who really could love me? Not realizing that that woman in his home could be that person who loved him, or in this case really was. So that emotional support that he wanted, that feeling of being understood, that feeling of being connected to someone and being loved by someone was actually something that he could get from his wife, but he wasn't getting it. And not necessarily because of just her, but because of him and both of them. And this is where issues related to a fear of intimacy or closeness comes into play. It's very easy to message someone 
online or to create a fake relationship or with a coworker or with someone who we don't have to be that close with and feel that they totally get us and idealize that person or that relationship. But what we don't realize is how hard it is to allow ourselves to feel close to someone once we actually see them and when we're with them. That takes a lot more risk. So even though we tell ourselves our partner is no good and I could be so happy with someone else, this is a trick we tell ourselves because we're actually afraid to be close to anyone. So the person who is in our home, we don't allow ourselves to get so close to. So what we see in this case of Sam and Sarah is although they thought their love was dead and they couldn't love each other because they were wrong for each other, what we really recognize is it was that they were too afraid to let themselves really love each other, to be fully vulnerable with one another, to show everything to each other, to allow themselves to let the person be there for them and vice versa. The person they were looking for all along was actually the person they already had. And this is to me what's so important for people to realize. The ways that we sabotage and damage the love that we have with the partner that we have because we are so afraid of facing ourselves, facing the feelings and being in an emotionally intimate and genuine relationship with someone. So if you find yourself in your marriage and you think you're bored of your partner or you think this is what love has to be or this is as good as it gets or it's supposed to be bad in this way and also maybe lie to yourself and say, well, everyone does these things and starts relationships or cheats or does whatever else they do. Catch yourself. Recognize that this is just something, a fallacy, a lie you're telling to yourself to get out of actually facing the reality of being in a relationship with a person who you have. And yes, you might have to talk about things you don't want to talk about. You probably will have to resolve lots of unresolved conflicts that have led to built up resentment and negative feelings. You'll have to risk being vulnerable with that person, allowing them to maybe hurt you or not be there for you the way you want them to be, which can be quite scary. But on the other side, you have the opportunity to feel that genuine love that you can have with someone. So be aware of how you push your partner away, how you push love away, and how you can trick yourself to thinking that love is somehow outside, out there, and not realizing that the love already is there within the relationship you have. You just have to take the risks of making it grow, have to take the risks of allowing it to become what it can actually be. So if we can learn anything from this story, it's that the fallacy of love is on the outside. is something we tell ourselves to avoid facing the real fear, which is to be in love and to love the person we already have. All right, we've reached a commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question regarding the borderline personality mm-hmm. <clears throat> disorder. And I've been in a relationship. I'm still in it, but not as it was before. And I don't know how should I deal with people with this kind of the problem. And I already researched about it, and I know that 
what could cause these kind of things, although it's not for sure. Mm -hmm. But I know a little bit about it. And um, I was thinking, should I continue with this relationship and uh, uh, think seriously, or is something that I should reconsider and think twice? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me also just for people listening. So, and you, as you also mentioned, you think the person might have borderline personality disorder, but of course you aren't diagnosing them. Um, but borderline personality disorder is, um, it, they can be very difficult to be in relationships with. And even, I want to be careful because it is one of those psychiatric disorders or psychological disorders has a very strong negative stigma attached to it. And people can be, even clinicians can be very judgmental about people dealing with this. And they really are struggling, but they are very difficult to be in relationships with. So um, they have a strong fear of being abandoned. And so because of that, they can act out in relationships in different ways. And their lives are characterized by unstable relationships from family to friends and especially in romantic relationships. And because they're so afraid of being abandoned, they'll kind of see threats of abandonment even when it's not there. And that also can be difficult. Another hallmark symptom is that they do something we call idealizing and devaluing. So sometimes they'll meet someone and they'll tell you, oh my God, you're the best person in the world. You're an angel. You're the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And it's very extreme. And actually it can feel good. And sometimes these people because of that can be an interesting match for someone who has narcissism because when they tell you you're the greatest thing on the earth and the planet, that's what the narcissist wants to hear. So initially they can be, there can be fireworks in the, in a way that feels good for both of them. But then unfortunately those fireworks turns into just bombs and explosions that are horrible because it's eventually going to fall apart uh, almost always. So, um, so they have this tendency, they'll make you the, the best, the God, and then they'll also tell you you're the devil, the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And maybe you know someone like this and they'll do that. They'll say, I have this new friend. Oh my God, she's the best thing in my life. I'm so lucky. And then two months later, they'll talk about that same friend. She's the most evil, manipulative, conniving person in the world. You can't believe how evil she is. And then also, um, they have really intense mood fluctuations. So sometimes people will think they're uh, bipolar because of that, but it's a different, uh, definitely a different diagnosis than bipolar. It's not about periods of months of being, let's say, depressed or being manic. It's that they can have extreme mood changes almost on a dime. And so usually people who interact with someone who has borderline personality disorder, they'll say they're always feeling like they're walking on eggshells because you don't know what's going to set them off. And at any moment, something might make them really happy or excited, or it might make them feel devastated and angry and rageful, and they can have a lot of rage. Uh, they also can have um, a tendency to attempt suicide or do kind of parasuicidal behavior, making threats about suicide or cutting uh, and, and other things. So that's just an overview of some of the things. And, you know, you're talking about relationships, also working with someone who has some of these types of uh, issues yeah. can be very difficult. These are the types of people that might be that can be very manipulative in the workplace because they feel constantly threatened by other people. So even if they do attack you, although it's going to feel painful and cruel and they're very good at being cruel and mean and trying to say things that hurt you in a specific way, very often it's because they're jealous of you or your position in the company or how 
good of an employee, how smart you are at whatever it is you're doing. So that's why they might specifically target you. But anyway, I just wanted to give maybe a not so brief, but kind of an overview of borderline personality disorder. Um, and then we can talk about what you were dealing with. Yeah, I appreciate Exactly what you said, exactly what I was researching, and I figured out some of the symptoms on the uh, person that I started relationship about two months ago, and it was extremely emotionally, yeah. which it gave me the sign and symptom that is something not normal because I'm dealing with the people, and I'm in the medical field by myself, <laughs> but I know the personality-wise many people approaching me, and daily I see them that they have some kind of disorder, but this one was unknown for me until I went through and I noticed that emotional mood that this person, I see on him is too much for a you know, short period of time that we know each other. He all of a sudden fell in love, all of a sudden he thought that he found the woman in his life and he was planning to have a future, which to me it was too exaggerating mm -hmm. and it was too soon and uh, ended up that uh, I just kind of lay back and I didn't have the same feeling about him and I was trying to give him this sign that let's slow down and uh, we're going to know each other more and I cannot make a decision right now about the future we have to move slowly slowly and uh, he was saying, no, you're going to know the person that you want from the beginning, if you want to spend your life with or not, which to me, it was, again, not normal. Mm -hmm. Also, this was a sign that a little bit scared me. And by the end, uh, he wanted me to uh, give him 100% assurance that I'm going to be supportive of him no matter what, which to me, also, it was not the time. Because... Mm -hmm. I didn't know him that much and ended up that he was not directly, indirectly expecting me to offer him to support him, for example, I'm saying, for to be a co-signer for the car. <laughs> yeah. or, uh, and so another thing, you know, just in what you said there, um, individuals who do have borderline personality disorder, they're, they do very poorly with boundaries. So they're not good with boundaries. They they want to be totally enmeshed with someone. So they will sometimes, first of all, like what you're saying of just we're so in love from the very beginning too soon, which there might be something we have to look at that did you like some of that, even though it was kind of overwhelming or felt like too much, but maybe something was drawing you in that kept you staying with him, even though you sound reluctant, but you did stay in it. But yeah, the idea of be the co-signer on my car after one or two months of barely knowing each other would also not surprise me because it one it's two things one it's a lack of boundaries but it's also a way of tying you into him because he's afraid of abandonment so if you're co-signed on this lease with him or this car sorry um you can't really get away or it makes it harder for you to get away so it could be coming from that fear of abandonment and again i, I even hear myself already jumping to the conclusion that this is his diagnosis which we don't know for sure but there definitely are some signs that you're already uh, expressing yes. that seem to be aligned with that. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And other things that it came up that after that I felt that he um, um, actually the way that he was acting towards me changed. But I didn't notice really it could be because of that because I never offered him. And I don't think so I should. 
Mm-hmm. To me, it was too early. And I, um, yeah, I'm a business owner. I am having my practice, but it doesn't mean that um, I, I have to operate. Although he was saying, even though you were operating, I wouldn't accept it, which it makes me kind of why you think that I should have offered you, even offer you. Um, besides that, after he asked me for kind of uh, money to borrow, and when I said I have to think about it, again, when I was ready to help, he said, no, I just want to test you. And I yeah, said, so let me, Why let me stop you there. What, it's interesting because it's almost like you're calling me to convince yourself something. I'm not sure what, what you're no, unsure I about. I really want to know... Um, is it really something that I can, my diagnosis is good. It, 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 you think this kind of thing is um, coming from this kind of personality? It, it sounds like it is, and it sounds like the reason why I think it's interesting is it almost seems like you already know. But yes, I don't I know. know. But I don't know. It, there's some. That's why I think it might be worth looking at what's drawing you to this person. He He seems like he's showing a lot of these signs that you know are not okay. Yeah. And, but even the fact that you did want to offer him the money when you're saying it felt way too soon for you to do that. So there's yeah. something that you're also, we have to look at your I, side. I just was wondering that um, maybe I am wrong, maybe really, because he was from age 12 in United States, although originally he's Persian. And he never been by, you know, raised by parents. Parents was not around, were not around. And this kind of things also, on my research, showing that could be kind of one of the causes of this kind of the personality. Mm-hmm. Um, being a child, me, can I stop you for a second? I can't tell yeah. if you were getting a little emotional talking about those parts of his life. Your, no, your voice changed a little bit. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, maybe Don't be sorry. No, I just wasn't sure if I heard. It just seemed no, like no, when no, you... I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Part. Okay. Okay. No, no just, it I'm seemed like you were talking about I, him. I, I, no, and because of my profession, I want to see if it's, uh, how should be my approach towards him because I'm not in the age of 30 or 30. We are both above 50. I'm okay. above 50 by myself. I look at it as a mature relationship between mm-hmm. two adults. Uh, we already had our kids' first marriage. He has three grandkids also. Uh-huh. Uh, the only thing I really like about this person is his um, so sweetness and emotional things that it kind of got me to be attracted towards him. Okay. Now, but the thing is, um, what you're describing is um, emotional, but maybe too emotional. It's too emotional. Yeah, which, which is which is not necessarily, um, no, it's, not. it's not a good thing. But so maybe in your previous relationship, was your husband very emotionally closed off? Uh, no, um, I I divorced when I was 22, but I had okay. a past relationship, unfortunately, with a narcissistic disorder personality disorder, mm-hmm. which totally was opposite. Uh-huh. And this one, it was kind of for me the first person that who was touchy and he was emotionally fulfill my need. Mm-hmm. Well, so he I made it seem it. like it was all about you, but now you're realizing that's actually not true. Uh, what do you mean, doctor? Well, I mean, it's not true because he's being there for you to kind of get you to be with him, but exactly. he really is very needy himself, exactly. obviously. Yeah, uh, and, and that's why I wanted to go to the next step that 
all of a sudden, after this kind of things, he said, I want to test you that if you are 100% behind me or not. And then I said that I don't think that, that was a good test no, for money. But clearly that he, shows he has major trust issues. Yes. It ended up he disconnected and he said he doesn't want it to be with me anymore, which to me was, again, a sign. Honestly, until few, a few days ago, none of the light in my brain was on because I couldn't figure out what is wrong with it until I really went to the research and study and figured out this should be one of those disorder personality that I was reading about it and I knew in school when I was about it. But I didn't know exactly this person has this until it happened. And now I am kind of in a break. Uh, but I was wondering if I decided to move on as a true friend with this person. Nothing more than that. But why when would you? Why? Why true friend? Why do you want to do that? Um, probably something on him for me is interesting, and that is that uh, I know it scientifically is not right because the other things is always turned me off about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but spending some time and having fun for me, something that I was missing, and I got it from this person. When we were out together, we had a laugh. We enjoyed going to, see, to have some good music, enjoy dinner out, and this kind of that. Also, I'm very busy with my profession, too. So it was somehow fulfilling my need not to be by myself. Well, that's my concern more is that it seems like you're feeling lonely or even down in your own life. Uh, I'm not down. I have a very busy schedule, and I have, in my business, I have a lot of stress going through. I'm a medical field, but for me to have somebody in the weekend to spend some time, go dining and listen to music. And I, well, I think you should have that, but you should have that with, first of all, someone you can have more with than just friendship but also someone the way you're describing him it's always going to be drama with him it's not going to be just the fun part it's going to be the drama so that's why almost to me it's the reason why i brought up the idea of being down in your own life it's almost like you're looking for a drug which is really oh it's like you know the same thing could happen with a drug you can say oh i i take this drug i feel so happy and excited for a few hours but then you get addicted or you have the other effects that happen and you deal with those so i'm saying I don't want you to look for a drug to just no. make you feel good but also hurt you. I'd rather you find a relationship where you feel good and enjoy it but also don't have to deal with this, this, unnecessarily drama, this unnecessary drama. And if you're saying he has borderline personality disorder, again, this could come off as judgmental. But if it's really extreme, even friendship with them is going to be very, very difficult very and damaging. And, and again, because they don't like boundaries if you say you know what i'm just going to talk to him on the weekends for three hours and that he's going to fight against that and you're going to deal with a whole bunch of issues of and he's going to make you try to make you feel guilty and make you feel bad and then you're going to give into it more yeah so you know it's not that's why i'm saying it's like a drug saying i just want to have cocaine once a week there's no problem it's like yes but it's not going to just first of all that is a problem itself and secondly it's probably not going to stay that way and now what are you going to do so i again like i said there's something about him that draws you to him maybe there is a part of you as much as you didn't believe him on a logical level when he said i'm so in love with you and you're the love of my life or whatever he was saying you were really drawn to that too which it can be for a lot of people we obviously like that feeling or hearing those things but you took to that a little bit too much and maybe you don't want to lose that feeling again kind of like a drug 
of that feeling exactly. he gave you. But I think I want you to realize these negative effects, just like a drug that it's giving you, that you don't need that. And maybe recognize something maybe is missing that you want someone to make you feel valued, make you feel loved, which we all do. But that has to come with time. And so here he might have, because of your loneliness, been that perfect drug that he came in and gave you this instant feeling of closeness and feeling loved that you wanted, but it was in this unnatural and unhealthy way. And so I felt from like the moment you started talking about him that you were basically telling me, hi, I'm calling you to let you know that I shouldn't be in this relationship, but tell me about whether I should be in this relationship or not. That I really didn't feel like you were asking me even much. You already knew. And almost in a way, it's like the parent was calling me saying, your own parent saying, I shouldn't be in this relationship, but there's this kid part of me that really wants this. Should I let the kid go play or not? And so I think giving into what the kid wants, first of all, we want to try to understand why the kid wants that, but it's just going to leave you feeling very hurt in the long run. And it won't actually address what the kid wants, which is to feel loved, to feel cared for, be in a relationship, be close to someone. And it's going to give it to you in a way that you don't actually get it and you're going to continue to get hurt by it. So to me, again, even keeping a friendship with him, too, it'll do two things. One is it's not going to probably just stay that way and you'll have to deal with all of that drama. But two, you'll kind of feel like, well, I have a man in my life, so you won't actually seek something out. And so it'll prevent you from actually being in something better. So a lot of people say, oh, I'll just keep this around until I find something better. But they don't realize that when they're with that person in whatever degree, it keeps them from looking or even wanting or being aware of what else is out there. So to me, it seems pretty clear you know that this relationship, even at a friendship level, is going to be harmful. I would look at the parts you liked about him. First of all, see, okay, is there something I like that's not good? Or also, are there some things he gave me that are good, but I can get them in a more healthy way and, and seek that out? But I think this relationship, from what you're telling me, you know it's not good for you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Thanks you're for your right. call. Thank you so good much. Good luck. For your Thank My you. pleasure. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Going to another commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um... Hi, Dr. Holakui. I wanted to talk to you about my son uh -huh. um, that's been um, diagnosed with schizoaffective. Uh -huh. um, and I wanted to know um, how should I go on. Um, I, he has been hospitalized many times, and every time it didn't really work. I mean, he, um, he gets worse when he gets out of the hospital, yeah. and he gets really frustrated that why he went to the hospital, why we didn't be prevented him to go to the hospital and he gets really really upset when he gets out and he continues the same way yeah. and then he doesn't take his medicine again well that yeah that's so you're dealing with a very difficult situation unfortunately schizoaffective is a very serious psychological diagnosis yeah. uh in, in a way it's a combination we can say of schizophrenia and a mood disorder, that's the affective part. So uh, it could be actually bipolar type or depressive type, but it's a combination of schizophrenia, which has the, the psychosis, things like hallucinations and delusions, and extreme mood issues. And as I said, it's a very serious psychiatric illness, and it 
essentially requires medication. So he really has to take his medication. And even in your question of what can you do, one thing you might have to unfortunately accept is that the outcome, not that it has to be really bad, but that it's going to be hard. You know, this is a very difficult illness to deal with. Of course, hardest for your son, but it affects you guys in different ways around him as well. How old is he? He's 28. 28, okay. Yes. And about how long has he shown the illness, the signs of the illness? Really from, um, I have to say from when he was born, but mm-hmm. I mean, he was born, I, I don't want to go through the whole story. That's he was right, yeah. born premature and um, he was, he had ear infection for years and he felt very severely bad, mm. you know, when he was like two years old. And then, um, uh, so he went through a lot of stuff. I really feel sorry for him. Mm. Yeah. And um, so finally we find out that he has this disorder. And, you know, we did everything, uh, you know, as hospitalization and everything. And, of course, you know, in the beginning he was coming to the doctors and this and that, but he always was, you know, arguing and he didn't want to go. And and when it came to the medication, from the first day he was putting his foot down that he he doesn't need any medication, he's all fine and everything. And he ended up in the hospital, like, as I said, you know, eight, nine times so mm-hmm. far. So for the last two years, we we worked with this doctor and he he's giving me some medication in, but I'm giving it to him without him knowing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if he knows or not. I feel like sometimes I feel like he knows, but he doesn't say anything. And sometimes I feel like he doesn't really know. But um, so he's taking the medication for the last two years. Um, not that he's all good, but he's manageable. So he, okay. he hasn't been in a hospital or anything. So, mm-hmm. but now my so I'm not sure um, and. I don't know what to do with this. I know it's not right, but I know that if I, and and I bring it up with him once in a while, you know, and I say, you know, um, everybody has some kind of a problem and, you know, yours may be, you know, a a slight disorder of mental and if you take medicine, and as soon as I say that, he's like, no, I'm not taking any medication. Now, my husband is like, we cannot go on like this and we need to tell him that we've been giving him his medicine. Mm. And I'm not sure, the reason for my call is this, I don't know if, what should I do? Should, hmm. should we tell yeah. him or not to tell him? I know if I tell him, it's gonna be disaster all over again, and he's gonna distrust us, and he's gonna end up in a hospital, and it's all over again. So I don't know. Mm. I really don't know what to do. Yeah, it, it's uh, it brings up some big dilemmas and issues of um, does someone have the right to know, obviously, what they're putting in their body? Does someone have the right to refuse treatment, which legally people do have, even yes, at a psychiatric hospital, they can go AMA against medical advice and say, I don't want to take my medication. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the court can have to get involved to enforce it. But it's very complicated. But nonetheless, there is, a, you know, that side of things of people having freedom and the liberty to choose what happens to them. But then there's the other side of, you know, if I see someone who is suicidal standing on a bridge, I'm not going to just say, well, they have the choice. I'm going to go and try to talk them off of the bridge and hopefully get them to not do that. And so in this case, of course, it's not as extreme 
as literally he's about to take his own life, but he is so ill that one, he's suffering significantly, and two, he lacks what we call insight, which means an understanding of someone's illness. When someone is depressed, they realize I'm really down and depressed. Now, they might still might not seek treatment, but they understand something is going on. Unfortunately, sometimes with things like schizophrenia, the person really believes, for example, their delusions are true, and they don't think there's some problem there. They think, no, for example, the FBI is after me. And even if you try to tell me they're not, you're part of the conspiracy too. So it's hard to convince them that no, something is going on, even if they are suffering and not feeling good. And so maybe that's partially the case with your son, that he doesn't think anything is wrong with him. Um, and so he doesn't need any medication. Now, I don't know if there's times where you can connect with him because I'm sure he is suffering a lot and he has schizoaffective. Does he have the bipolar type or just the depressive type? Uh, I'm not sure about okay. that, actually. I'm not sure. It might, not it's sure. not so significant, I'm just wondering. But either way, you know, unfortunately, like I said, I, I can imagine for you this and the whole family, it's very distressing, but we know he's really suffering and he's he going through suffering. a lot. I know it's that. very I'm sad, yeah. To see him is really suffering for me to just, and I want to do something for him. Mm -hmm. I, I want, I, but then I don't know what to do and, I don't know what to do, really. And um, Does he go to therapy or do anything else? No, he, he disagrees with anything. He doesn't want to go with, to anything. What he, and uh, this is another thing that I know is not good for him to do, but he, is, he, is, he says, oh, maybe I have a little bit of anxiety, and for that I have to take marijuana. Uh -huh. And he really, really believes in that, and he feels like when he takes that, it really is, think he's you know an anxiety and mm -hmm. he's all calm and everything is good for him uh, yeah uh, and I mean I, there you know it might sound strange I'm not suggesting he should because even that could affect his brain but maybe that can be better than him not doing anything in a way I'd rather he takes the medication and goes to therapy because you know we're dealing with a very serious illness so just like if someone has a serious medical issue we don't say the medicine is going to make their life easy. We're just trying to make their life easier or less hard. With him, it's the same thing because therapy can help. And it's not just therapy like talk therapy. It's usually really things on helping them manage um, their life better because things like even their sleep is important. You yeah. know, their life schedule, even a little bit of exercise can be helpful or yoga. or You know, there's lots of things they actually try to do to help them um, have get a little bit of balance in their life because we know someone with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, their brain is out of balance. You know, there's a lot going on. So we're, the medication is trying to help that balance with other things that they can do to help prevent hospitalizations, to help prevent from, you know, their, their health to deteriorate. So, you know, I always try to say, and even in this extreme case, rather than trying to make him feel like he's such a problem is making him realize he's really suffering and there could be things that help him in these ways so um it's hard when he's resisting i i i really am torn I, i'll be honest about the medication and what you guys should do because i feel like he could be at the point where he's so unable to make the best choice for himself that maybe it is necessary to make that for him. And you're saying the medication, you've seen it make a difference over this past year or two? Well, at least, you know, he didn't make, you know, all the scenes that he was making before that, you yeah. know, we had to call and take him away and send him to the hospital. At least he has been, you know, a little bit manageable. Um, and he is very sweet and everything, but it's, 
so he has been manageable with that medication. Okay. Um, yeah, and even you said he's very sweet, and it, it's so sad when you see it, psychiatric it, illness because it really takes over the person where it, it's and it's hard to say. I mean, the illness is a part of him in a way, but okay. it takes away from really that underneath personality of who he probably is, which is very sad. And I, I, I'm. You know, when I work with families where I was in a psychiatric hospital for a year doing an internship and you see the families, you know, you feel like you've lost the person because, yeah, you know, exactly. that the personality and the who they were, you don't really get to see because it gets so overshadowed and overtaken by the illness. So it's very difficult, very hard what you're going through. And uh, of course, we want to talk more about him. And, but I also hope you're taking care of yourself. And even if he won't go to therapy, it could be helpful for you to go to therapy or even they have sometimes support groups for families dealing with a child with serious mental illness. But I would consider yeah. those things to take care of yourself too, because these things can be very, very stressful for family yeah, members to deal with. We did. We did go to NAMI classes for for mm-hmm. for a while, and you know that class, those classes, I feel like also was for the parents. Yeah. I mean, and they were, you know, really it was a good support. Um, but I want to know what I can do for him, and I want to somehow, somehow tell him, somehow and make him understand that he is really sick. Yeah. And he needs to take this medication, go to therapy, and I feel like he really, if he takes this medicine willingly. And, you know, but he can do a lot of things because, you know, when he's good, he's, he, he makes a lot of sense. You know, he, he's a smart. And I feel like he can do a lot of things, mm-hmm. but, but then he's just stuck with this thing. Yeah, and, you know, serious mental illness, there's a range in how much people, um, how they are. Some people, they can live almost a normal life. There's a professor at USC who has schizophrenia and writ- has written about her experience and then there's some people who really even with medication they can't or obviously if they don't get the medication so there's a range of what we can expect in his life but of course we do want to at some level lower our expectations of him and his life uh, and not expect him to live a typical life in lots of ways and be aware that this illness is very serious and i would hope that he um, can recognize that and accept it it can be hard again because uh, there's not a a lot of insight for him to realize what's going on but i think you probably realize he also has to take care of himself at some level or yeah. go to his own appointments or want to get help you won't always be able to do that or it's going to be exhausting for you guys to always do that for him and you're probably thinking long term in his life exactly. how is he going to take care of himself which i could understand so you know I, I would there might be moments of being able to connect of not just telling him how sick he is but in a way of how much he is um suffering and that he might be willing to recognize that he does need and would benefit from help, that he's in a lot of pain. I mean, does he talk about life being difficult? Does he, uh, is he, do you think he has that awareness that life is so hard for him or harder for him than for other people? Um, he doesn't, only when he does that he wants it. And, it's, and those are the things that I've, you know, for someone in his age, he wants to have a girlfriend. And, yeah. you know, when he, he cannot have that, it's, you know, that is very difficult, and he says, you know, that's very frustrating for him. Sure. But, um, uh, and, and then he'll, he wants to have a job, but of course, you know, he cannot, but he, like, now he's so um, in love with this marijuana that he likes to work in a dispensary place, and he has applied for a few of them, but I, I don't think nobody's going to hire him the way he is. Um, well, and that depends. I mean, I don't, you obviously are 
living with him or with him and know what he's like. But I mean, some people with schizoaffective or schizophrenia can work depending on how they're doing and their uh, the level of treatment they're receiving is really important. So I wouldn't say he can't hold the job, but maybe you, you're seeing where he's at and you know he can't at this time. And we don't want to overwhelm him with stress yeah. because stress is going to just exacerbate his symptoms and things he's going through. Uh, I wouldn't at this time cut the medication, but I would see if there's a way of getting him to see that he needs help. It's also this complicated thing because if you realized, like let's say he sees he's doing better now, but he doesn't know it's because of the medication. So unfortunately, you're kind of reinforcing this idea that, see, I don't need the medication. I'm okay without yeah, it, you know? Exactly. Uh, that's, that's kind of a problem. Yeah. He doesn't know he's, he's doing okay because he's taking the medicine, but then he exactly. doesn't know that he's taking the medicine. Right. So they say, see, I don't need the medicine. I'm okay without it. That's kind of the challenging part of where you guys are also at because if for yeah. one or two years he hasn't been hospitalized or had a serious reaction, he feels like, look, I'm okay. I'm living life. So it's it puts you in a tough space. I don't know. You know, it's a very delicate thing because if you mention it to him, he might blow up. He probably will be upset. You have to be ready that if you do decide to tell him, don't expect him to make, oh, okay, great, cool. He's going to be upset that you've been giving him medication that you know he doesn't want for a couple yeah. of years. So he's not going to like that. And it's tough. I mean, I would hope he can meet with a doctor or a psychiatrist and then talk about that. But it's hard to probably connect to him. Does he seem to have any awareness of what he's going through? Um, yeah, I don't know really. I don't know what to say because he um, he says he's okay. He's, he feels like I'm like I mean he feels like he's he doesn't have any problem. I don't know if he's just saying that or if does he really think that he doesn't have he. Yeah. I say, if you don't have any problem, why do you have to smoke this marijuana? Why do you say that this is going to make you feel better? He said, okay, maybe I have some anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's all I have. And I don't have anything else. Okay. And, and But yeah. if you say, what about seeing someone about your anxiety? He'll just say, no, I'm taking care of it. I'm sorry? What, what if you tell him, okay, what about seeing a doctor about your anxiety? He says, this, this, this medicine is enough for me. The, the marijuana is okay. Think that that I'm doing fine with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No. And again, he is taking the med. What is he taking, body. by the way? Is it an antipsychotic medication? Uh, yes, yes. It's prescribed by the doctor. Yeah. I go see his doctor, and you know he's aware of the thing. And I, you know, I did discuss with him that this is my husband was saying, you know, many, many, many to tell him, and he was like, just hold on for a little bit to come up with something to see because he was like. You know, he the same thing that I'm saying. He's, you know, he's been uh, not in the hospital for a couple of years, and he's living a little bit of peaceful life because he really gets disturbed when he goes to the hospital. He gets really, really disturbed, and he hates that place. And he he would come yeah. out and he wants to kill everybody. Not kill, but I mean, he's there. Well, like, he's angry. Oh, oh. I mean, you know, I was at a psychiatric hospital for a year, and I think there was lots of things I wish were different in how they. They do things and, you know, and plus they don't like being there, obviously. So we understand him not liking that. But when you need to hospitalize him, you have to do it. And you understand he doesn't like it. So uh, we don't not do it just because he doesn't like it because we can't um, not do Uh, that. The the, the thing I'm saying is it didn't really do anything. I feel like... No, but doesn't... uh, Hospitalization isn't about curing. Hospitalization is just about stabilizing. So even Uh when I was at a psychiatric hospital... We were told that even though, you know, as a therapist, you want to talk about in-depth things, don't get into anything deep. Keep it just about managing where they are now. 
and getting them back out there. And then they have to go into treatment and do all the other things to, to work on it. So don't look at hospitalization as a solution. It's just a temporary dealing with crisis, not about solving the problem. Yeah. But, you know, you know, I do want to wrap up because I've had a commercial break and I have sure, some people no on hold. But, you know, your situation is a tough one. I wish I had better answers for you. But you're dealing with a severe, severe illness. It's just like if you find out someone has cancer, there's lots of options you can try, but you know that you're in a tough situation. It's not mm -hmm. going to be something easy or even the answers are not just easy solutions. That means everything's going to be okay. And so, and unfortunately, something like schizoaffective, it's not something that just goes away. It's chronic. So really for the rest of his life, he will be dealing with this. And I, I think that working with his psychiatrist is probably the best thing you can do to make okay. sure, follow his or her advice, and staying aware and making sure you're on the same page. But lowering your expectations unfortunately is probably something you'll have to do and you probably already have done of recognizing that with this severe illness we can only expect so much from him but it, it's difficult and like i said making sure that you get maybe your own therapy to take care of yourself because what you're going through is not easy yeah. it's very difficult yes yeah. i wanted to ask you about the book that you were talking about teaching um about, Hello? Yes, sorry, about what? Oh, I'm sorry. Do you think that would be something that would be good for him? If to he read? wants, which one? The one, the improbability principle? No, I don't know. You said uh, some lady. Um, oh, had, yeah, maybe. But but he doesn't he doesn't believe he has it. So I would be careful to not tell him to tell him you have this illness when he doesn't think he does. Oh. So it's a little bit risky. So it's possible. Her name is, I think, Sachs is her last name, S-A-K-S. Um, and she's a professor at USC. But um, I don't know because I don't know exactly if he's going to think, oh, mom, so you think I'm sick like this when I'm not. So I would be a little bit careful about that. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. He doesn't okay. want to be stable with this sickness. Right, he doesn't want exactly. To. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank you for okay. calling. Thank Good you. luck. Thank you very much. Sure. I appreciate it. All right, Thank take you. care. Bye-bye. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Hi, Dr. Hodakui. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much. Um, I'm calling about my son, who is 39 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a virtuoso musician. I'm not exaggerating. He is extremely... Uh, talented and uh, in a twenty known uh, musician, but uh, he refuses to work. And he is living with me. He has uh, one wonderful girlfriend for four, nine years now, and she's very receptive to to him, and he spends most of the time with him with her. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know how uh, to tell him. Uh, so he's not offended. He's extremely sensitive, but all the expenses is paid by me, and I don't know if I'm doing a service or disservice, okay. or what am I doing wrong, and how can I encourage him uh, to do so? Okay. To now, does he, he doesn't work or do any work with? You said he's a virtuoso as a musician. He doesn't work as a musician or perform or anything. He doesn't perform. He has a high goal to become. Uh, orchestra uh, conductor and you know create his own uh, music uh, I just don't want to mention the field of that's music okay. because he's completely That's fine. known and it, uh, the goal is so high 
that I think is more delusional than realistically. And then he lives with us, with me alone. Okay. Uh, all the expenses are paid. He um, he used to teach uh, certain type of music to uh, adult school, and now he quit it and he wants to do his own. He's very disciplined in a way. There's a podcast called Jocko, the military man who disciplined men with or everyone with like promotional speaker to. Uh, develop a very sensitive, uh, disciplined way to reach to your goal. So he is getting up with him, going to exercise everything, and then go back to reading. He reads a lot. He's mm-hmm. extremely well, well read and educated. And, but uh, it seems to... like he's preparing for a battle that he's never going to fight. I don't know. Yeah. You exactly. know, so... so I don't know this goal is ever achievable or not right but i i mean a podcast okay but creating a podcast is not that hard i'm doing it right now it's not very you can just record something no i know but you can just record something and put it out there so it just seems like he's you know dealing he's avoiding everything and i don't want to say what you're doing is hurting him but at some level it does enable him i'm gonna have to be a little bit quicker i mentioned to you before we got on the air we just have about six minutes or so now left um what but, am I supposed to do? Well, it's difficult, but it's uh, helping him, you know, it, it seems like he's living in this uh, fantasy world now, yes. you know, and even, you know, that's why I said like this battle and kind of to take the imagery even further, it's like a war that doesn't exist even, you know, but he never is going to battle, but it's he's keep preparing, 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 but it's exactly. a life involves actually doing. And then in the doing, you actually learn a lot too. That prepares you even more for the next part. So, and uh, I have to tell you that he is seeing a therapist, you know, okay. for two and a half years, which I don't know what good it makes for him to, to come to realistic life, you know, walk on yeah. earth. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad he's going to therapy. It depends on how the therapist is approaching things. A therapist can't just change someone, you know. Even you calling me right now, this is the, different than how I would be in therapy. It's going to be much more direct. Uh, and therapies could be a little different, but it seems like he does need that direction and encouragement. And if he's as smart as he is, he can go in the therapy room and talk for a hundred hours about thinking about things and what he's going through, but not actually talk about taking action or actually take any action in his life. And that's what's missing is the action part. He's reading, he's preparing, and you know, discipline. It's great, but discipline to do what? You know, he has to go forward. And even if you want to be the conductor of, you know, a symphony or orchestra or whatever, um, you don't just show up one day. You know, usually you put in a lot of work and you have to start at a lower level, I think. I don't know much about that field. But in almost any field, you have to put time in. And there is something, he kind of seems like he's in this fantasy world where he sees himself better than other people. I'm not sure. I'm just kind of making that assumption. Exactly. exactly. Right. He knows everything. Yeah, he ex- everything. but he but it's coming from this place of feeling less than other people where he's so afraid to even interact with them, to even put himself out there. So, I'm not saying you have to tell him he's not that great. I wouldn't say that at all. But we have to be aware of not feeding to his narcissism and to this fantasy world he's creating by telling him you're the most brilliant, you're the greatest in the world. You're the you don't have to do that. I'm not saying tell him he's bad, but he wants to stay in that world where he can just be perfect and never make a mistake, never have a failure, never have a letdown, but that also means he'll never do anything. So we we have to be aware of not pushing him more into his fantasy world of 
I have this dream and he can daydream about it and fantasize and I'm preparing myself for this one day, but he never takes one step in the real world towards that direction. You know, it's like he's wearing virtual reality goggles and living his life. And so we have to encourage him. It's going to be difficult because the way you're describing him, he has this image in his mind and there might be some narcissism or something going on. And anytime we try to challenge that, it's like the sky is falling for that person. So you have to be ready that you have to be gentle or you have to be aware of how you bring this up, but he's not going to like the conversations that you might initiate and to think of the ways you might be encouraging this. A lot of parents, they think the best thing to do is to constantly praise their kids, but in ways that are sometimes exaggerated or in the ways we think they want to hear it. So they want to hear that they're the greatest musician of all time and better than all the conductors out there. So I'm going to tell him that even though we don't know, and I'm not saying tell him he's worse, but not just tell him something because it feels good in the moment. Um, so he's living a life, it's a very safe life he's created for himself, but it's never going to be fulfilling. Just like people who, uh, you know, never actually have a relationship with anyone. Even right now, there's these robots that can be your girlfriend or your boyfriend, or they have online ways, you know, and people think, oh, I'm happy this way, but it's actually because they're afraid to face reality and face the anxieties of being with someone or whatever. And for him, it's afraid of, you know, maybe I go out there, maybe I fail. And initially, maybe he will, you know, to expect that you're just going to show up and be the conductor of the L.A. Philharmonic is probably very unrealistic, no matter how much of a virtuoso you are. You have to establish yourself in the field. You have to do a lot of work. You have to start from the bottom, usually. And that goes against that narcissism. Yeah, connections. Exactly. And it goes against this kind of feeling of I'm better than other people. So the problem is. It seems like he thinks he's maybe less than other people, and he's compensating for that by imagining he's better than other people. But the truth is he's wrong about both. He's not better than other people, and he's not worse than them. He's equal to everyone else. And he has to be able to recognize that and accept that and then go out and, like everyone else, live in the real world. So I would think about and you know, I just about have to wrap things up, but how you can make sure you're not encouraging him to stay in that bubble. And I'm not saying immediately just cut him off of everything and say, now you have to pay for things or anything like that necessarily, but be aware of trying to shift the dynamics with him. Even talking to him, like I think you can talk about he's talented, so I'm not saying deny his talent, but that your talent should be shared with the world. It has to be out there. Without that, what use is it in your room, in your head? You know, whatever you have to share, you have to share. Um, but just being aware of that and many people, we escape to a fantasy world because it's safe there and we don't have to face any, any anxieties, any fears, any negative consequences, but we can't let them say No, that's okay. I would just say, I would talk to him about that being like, I think you're, I want to talk about how things are going and and change those dynamics. It's going to be a process. I don't usually like the just all of a sudden kind of a thing because that might lead to a breakdown with someone like him. But of trying to shift the dynamics that look, you know, I I want you even bring up some of the things we talked about. I worry that this is what's going on and I want to help you get out there. And then there's a lot of anxieties there. It's going to be a challenge. I do have to wrap up. I hope you'll call back. I would hope he calls in. Have him call me if he wants, and we could talk a little bit. He probably won't, but if he would, that would be great. But if you want to call back, please do. I do have to end the show. I certainly encourage him to call you. I would love to. I hope I he does. to talk to you. Well, well thank, thank you. you. It was nice talking to you, but I do have to wrap up the show for today. Thank um, you so have much. Have a great day. That. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you to all the listeners out there and to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fahid Alakwi. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.